Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when your experience doesn't match your expectations, the result can be frustration or disappointment or maybe even you're led into despair. It can happen with our social interactions. It can happen in planned events. It can even happen with the products that we buy. When I first learned about the Appalachian Trail, which stretches 2,000 miles from Maine down to the northern part of Georgia, I was six years old, and I dreamed of hiking that trail. Now, I knew I wouldn't be able to do the full 2,000 miles, but I at least wanted to walk a couple of miles on it. And five years later, I had my chance. My family took a vacation to the eastern states, and they told me one night we'd be camping in Virginia, where the campground was only a couple hundred yards from part of the Appalachian Trail, and I was excited. My heart was set on hiking that trail, and my dreams would come true. Except when we pulled into the campground that evening, I came down with the stomach flu, and I was laid up in the camper the entire day sick. My experience did not match my expectations, and I was very, very disappointed. As Christians, when our experience in life does not match our expectations for it, I think sometimes we run the risk of towing the line between disappointment and doubt in God or despair in God. Maybe it's that medical condition that suddenly fell upon you and it seems to consume all of your energy and all of your thoughts. You are constantly in pain. You go into the doctor or the specialist hoping that there is some type of treatment available or some type of solution, but there is really nothing. And now that's something you're just going to have to live with. That experience of a medical condition is not always what we expect in life or dream for. Or those times that we see something happen on TV and the news, some type of accident or a disaster, and we think, well, I thank God that wasn't me, and then some point in our life that ends up being us. Our experience does not match our expectation, and we are frustrated, disappointed, and maybe sometimes even tempted to be led into despair. Or maybe it's 10 years ago you had a plan, a vision in your mind for where you would be in life, and right now you're not anywhere close to what you had envisioned. Because things just aren't as nice and glamorous as you had foreseen. You see, sometimes life goes smoothly and sometimes everything is going well. Sometimes it even feels like we are on cloud nine and we just want to hang out in those days for a while. 
But sometimes God throws us into the middle of a deep lake. And it feels like we're just struggling to keep our heads above the water line. And that can last for a number of days. We ask ourselves, God, was this really your plan for my life? And if so, how in the world can you love me? For the disciples, that feeling had gone on for about six days. In the first verse of our sermon text, Matthew chapter 17, it says, after six days. Six days, those are important words there. Because what happened six days ago kind of gives insight into what was going through their minds. Six days ago, things started very, very well. Things looked very, very bright for the future of Peter, James, and John and for the rest of the disciples. You see, Jesus had asked them, who do people say that I am? And the disciples, they had it figured out. They had it right. Peter spoke on behalf of the group and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Savior of the world. And Jesus tells him this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can you imagine how you would feel being told that? Could you imagine being Peter thinking that the Son of God, the Messiah, was going to set up this prosperous earthly kingdom and there Peter and James and John and the disciples were going to be his right-hand men? In his mind, he was thinking that life was going to go smoothly. Everything would be great. He would always be on cloud nine. But then, and two sentences later, Jesus tells them that he is going to go to Jerusalem and he is going to be arrested and he is going to be beaten and he is going to be tortured and he is going to be put to death on the cross. And to make matters worse, not only would Jesus have to endure a cross, he told them, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must bear his cross and follow me. There would be a cross for the disciples in life, suffering and pain and disappointment and frustration, and they would have to bear that. That's what it means to be Jesus' disciple. And so Peter is coming to grips with this reality that life isn't always going to be sugar and spice and everything nice. And often we feel that way about God, that he should bless us. We put God on our own terms and we think, God, I want you to clean up the mess right now the way that I want you to clean it up. And it's at these times we need to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, thousands of feet up from civilization with Peter, James, and John. Because it's there that we see God's plan. There before Peter, James, and John's eyes, Jesus was transfigured. 
His appearance changed, and that doesn't even begin to put into words what they saw there in Jesus. The gospel writers describe this in different ways. Matthew says that his clothes became as bright as the light, his face shone like the sun. Mark said his clothes were whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Luke said he was as bright as a flash of lightning. Because there before them they saw the full majesty and glory and power and divinity of Jesus Christ who had come to earth, true God and true man, but he had put that under wraps. He had set aside his full majesty and power and glory, but here, Peter, James, and John saw it unveiled. There's a show called Undercover Boss where a CEO of a large corporation will decide to come out of his corporate office and go down and work with the employees on the lowest rung of the corporate ladder. He doesn't hesitate to get his hands dirty as he works with people on the farm or in the field or in an office or in a warehouse. And then suddenly... There's this big reveal of who he is. He takes off this disguise that he had put on to hide himself. And the employees learn that this man they were working next to was the top dog. Jesus Christ set aside full use of his divine power and glory to come here among us. Jesus Christ did that to live as a human being who faces the same temptations that you and I face. He came here to face the ugliest tragedies that you and I can imagine. He came here to fight the biggest temptations of doubt in our God and remained loyal to our Heavenly Father. And there on the Mount of Transfiguration, He also He also showed us what his plan, what the Heavenly Father's plan for his life was. Because there with him were Moses and Elijah, pillars of the Old Testament. Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets, almost all of the Old Testament. What the Heavenly Father was showing the disciples was that this was the plan All of Scripture talked about the Messiah being the one who would have to ascend Mount Calvary outside of Jerusalem where he would be brought to the deepest depths in order to bring us to the highest heights. In order to bring us forgiveness of our sins. To make us right with God. To give us a peaceful relationship with him. And Peter is seeing all of this glory in front of him. Peter is taking in this scene. Peter is on cloud nine and suddenly he comes up with a plan. He does not fully understand what's going on, but he says, Jesus, it is good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then suddenly the scene comes to an end. A bright cloud envelops them. The Heavenly Father's voice booms and tells them, this is my son whom I love. 
listen to him. They fall to the ground terrified and look up seeing only Jesus. Looking as he normally did like a regular man and tells them, don't be afraid. As they begin walking down the mountain back into Israel where they would have their crosses to bear, their frustrations and disappointments and temptations to deal with. Jesus gives them this glimpse of hope as well. He says, don't tell anyone about this. Why? Wait until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Son of Man would have to face the cross, but then He would be exalted in glory. And that is a very, very meaningful thing. Jesus tells us because He lives, we too will live. Because He has conquered death, we too will conquer death. That is the glory that awaits us. That is the day when all of our expectations will be exceeded. That is the day where our experience will be infinitely greater than anything we can find comparable here on earth. In the meanwhile, Jesus gives us glimpses of glory to keep us going. Even though life may be hard on this earth, He gives us a glimpse of glory in His Word where we gather around together in church. He gives us a glimpse of the heavenly banquet when we partake of His own body and blood in the sacrament of Holy Communion. He gives us a glimpse of glory anytime we open up our Bibles at home or read a devotion. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when your experience in life is not matching your expectations, go to the Word. Listen to Jesus. Let Him renew your hope. Make that your habit. Let it be a light when times are dark. Let it be your certainty when things are doubtful. May God grant this for each of us. Amen.